Welcome to another episode of How to Read the Bible. I'm Nate Claiborne. I'm here today with Benjamin Cant. How are we doing, Ben? Nate, doing well, man. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, yeah. What oh, what are we talking about today? So we are in First Peter. Okay. And one of the things that we know is uh, we live in a time when identity is talked about all the time. Mm. Uh, anywhere you look, language about identity in the church, outside the church, people are just always talking about who who are we, who am I, that kind of thing. And and one of the things I really like about First Peter is that he is, uh, Peter himself is is really helpful in giving us a picture of, or I would say probably a dozen pictures of who is the church, who mm. are we as the people of God. Yeah. And so right at the beginning, you get to First Peter one one, uh, very first verse. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are, and here's a here's a significant phrase, elect exiles. And so that means nothing to anybody unless you've got the backdrop, uh, the kind of, I'm searching for an analogy or a metaphor, right? But, but it's kind of like you, you see those two words, elect exiles, and they're almost like little uh, tips of icebergs sticking out of the water. Mm-hmm. And they've got this mass beneath them that's called the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. And so when I read elect exiles, having some familiarity with the Old Testament scriptures, it's actually an oxymoron. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that because it's yeah understanding what those two words mean. You're immediately if you think about it for a minute, you should come to the conclusion that they don't really fit together. That's right. It's like jumbo shrimp, right? It, yeah. You just that, that doesn't really work because to be elect is to be chosen and called and to belong to Yahweh, to the God of of you know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but to be exiles always in the Old Testament, that's a punishment for breaking covenant, for uh, chasing after other gods, for idolatry and injustice. Mm-hmm. And so you've got these two words that really are kind of fundamental opposites juxtaposed together and, and bringing some, something new out of it by calling us elect exiles. Yeah. And so what is Peter doing here? I think it's an important question to ask um, because he's calling the church, he's calling, as you said before we started recording, mostly Gentiles or, or plenty of Gentiles, right? Non-Jewish mm-hmm. people, he's calling them elect exiles. And so the context for exiles, one, I think a good example is is Jeremiah 29, right? To be an exile is God had a land for his people from the call of Abram, right? He said, go and go to the land that I show you. And and he had this land of Canaan that he was going to give to the, to his people. And they lived in the land and they built you know, their kingdom there and their capital city in Jerusalem. And, and so they had the promised land as we know it, mm-hmm. but they were kicked out because they abused the land, abused their privilege, failed to worship Yahweh alone as God, and injustice occurred as a result of that. And so they get exiled. They get, you know, Israel gets taken off by Assyria and then Judah, the remaining uh, southern tribe, gets taken off by Babylon into exile. And and, and that's not the end of the story, but but now they're no longer in their land anymore. Mm-hmm. So to be in exile is to be not at home. It's yeah, and it's not to be it's not to be not at home as like a vacationer, like a traveler just you know globe trotting. It's like to be not at home because you were forced out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and so to read this as elect exiles, chosen, you know, chosen people that are displaced out of your land. It's just this weird this weird connection there. Mm-hmm. So. A good place to go, I think, is Jeremiah 29, um, uh, this section about how this letter from Jeremiah to those who are in exile that were carried from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
And and I'd encourage the readers to go read that whole chapter because it's really powerful. But but there's there's this debate as to what you should do when you're in exile. And Jeremiah is saying, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives for your sons, and 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 make sure that you increase and multiply. Do not decrease. And seek the welfare, the shalom of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to Yahweh on its behalf, for in its shalom you will find your shalom. There's this call to be a very fruitful people in exile. Yeah. Don't just like kind of camp out there hoping one day you're going to get out of exile. While you're there, make the most of it. And so when Peter's talking to the church and he's saying, you are elect exiles. You are people who are chosen, but you also are not where you belong. You are not in your land. Um, I think that the piece that Peter's trying to get at is part of our identity is that we are a people on the move. And I don't necessarily mean literally like we're always moving around, but we are mm-hmm. a people, um, the, the way that St. Augustine used to talk about this, he used the, the Latin word peregrino, which is sojourner or pilgrim. We are, we are constantly not at home here in, on earth in this world. Yeah. And, and the reason why is because we belong to another city. We belong to the, the new Jerusalem. We belong to the city of God that's going to come down out of heaven from God. And, and that's really where our fatherland is. And that's where our hearts are. That's what we're longing for. Um, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Our treasure set in heaven that's going to come down to earth. Mm-hmm. So, Nate, I'm just kind of riffing at this point. But as you hear that, how does that tease out in your mind? Yeah, it, it makes me think of... Um... It's really, it's kind of a common thing in the New Testament for the writers to take concepts from the Old Testament and then reinvest them with new spiritual significance mm, mm-hmm. in light of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of what's happened here. Is an exi- being in exile is a, by default in the Old Testament, a bad thing. Something went wrong. You got kicked out of your home. Mm-hmm. In the New Testament now, we can reappropriate this concept of being on the go as, you know, being pilgrims along the way. Mm-hmm. But now it's just a default reality that is for a good purpose in some sense yes. of... Um, it, it's not because of our, it's because God hasn't brought things to full restoration yet. The consummation, the end, the coming down, as you said, of heaven to earth mm-hmm. hasn't happened. So we're like exiles, mm-hmm. but it's not a problem to be remedied at the moment, yeah, which is why right. I think it made me, I, every time you bring up Jeremiah 29, people just immediately think of verse 11 mm-hmm. and then to read the whole chapter and realize like, I know the plans I have for you. Mm-hmm. Includes being in a place that you don't want to be. That's right. Being in exile. But then also turning it to seek the flourishing of the city that you find yourselves in, because there you'll find mm-hmm. shalom and flourishing as well. Yeah. So it just makes me think of, um, it really would underscore your encouragement for people to go read all of Jeremiah 29 and kind of see how that famous verse is mm-hmm. situated and how it really does unpack how you would understand what would it mean to be in exile today. Mm-hmm. As a believer. Yeah. Well, and I think just practically is it's really easy to get comfortable uh, in a place like the United States of America. Mm. It, in some ways, when, when Rome was really kind to Christians, uh, it was really easy to get comfortable in Rome. Uh, and, and you could go throughout the, you know, throughout the history of Christianity in various cultures and, and nations. Um, but to recognize that it doesn't matter how how kind and how accommodating the nation that you're in is to the church, you're still in exile. Yeah. That nation still functions in a way like Babylon. And so to the American Christians, we are not in Jerusalem. We are in exile right now in Babylon because the new Jerusalem is our true home. Mm-hmm. And so when we're when it's easy to get comfortable, it's it's also easy to forget our status, 
our identity as elect exiles where we are. And so what that means is we this this identity is supposed to be an identity of longing. It's an identity mm-hmm. of waiting, of yearning for what's to come, never really quite feeling like we have it at, like we're at home yeah. in the here and now. Yeah. Longing for, and again, I don't want to say that this is some like spiritualization, like you can't wait for the by and by, you know, when we're in heaven and whatnot. That's a piece of it. But Jesus expands uh, the promise to Abram that he would inherit the land. Jesus expands that and says the meek shall inherit the earth. The entire, the land is no longer this parcel in, in, you know, the ancient Near East or in Canaan. Mm -hmm. The land is now the entire earth, but it's the earth on the other side of new creation, right? On the other side of uh, Jesus coming back and making all things new. Yeah, that's, that's good. And I I think that's maybe even tying it back in a little bit more with Jeremiah 29, as we're thinking about like not being too comfortable in the here and now. If they did follow the instructions in Jeremiah 29, they would achieve a level of comfort. Mm-hmm. And we have from the stories we've got, it wasn't as if the Jews in Babylon were persecuted as Jews mm-hmm. indefinitely. Yes. It would have been not quite the best fit, but there could have they could have achieved a level of normalcy mm-hmm. to some degree. And that's why we even get a story like Esther. Like we've got Jews who chose to stay when there was an option to go back. Mm-hmm. They could have gone back to Jerusalem that's right. and chose to stay there, which implies it's not really that bad in mm-hmm. a certain sense. But there is that still we're not where we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like everything's good right now, but that's right. This piece is missing, yes. which gives that longing element that you're talking about. And so uh, one of the things, this is a how to read the Bible podcast. And so we want to be really clear about what what can be helpful in reading the Bible. So in order to do that, I want to continue on in First Peter to chapter 2, verses 9, verses 9 and 10. Okay. Um, and so verse 9 says, but you are, and, and Peter now just, uh, the, the way in which the Bible gives us an identity is that it gives us this complex of metaphors and images and symbols. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our identity is that we are, in verse 9, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And so there's just a variety of, of terms that are being used to describe who we are as the people of God. Now, if you've got a Bible like mine, and most Bibles have an apparatus, this kind of system of cross-references, so you'll have little letters, so mine says, but you are a, and then it's got a little Z next to a chosen race, uh-huh. an A next to a royal priesthood, um, and, and so at the bottom of my page, I go down there and I look at chapter 2, verse 9, and I just kind of scan some of the cross-references there, and I see two that pop up at least uh, twice, Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy 7. And so why I'm highlighting this is one of the ways to read the Bible is when we step into the New Testament, it's like showing up at a play during Act 2, mm-hmm. or maybe even if there was like Act 3 or Act 4, like we're we're, we're really far into the drama. Yes. And and so it's it's challenging to make sense of what's really going on unless we go back and, and kind of reference the, the setting, the stage, you know, the ways in which drama is already played out on stage and, and who the main characters and actors are on that stage and, and how the plot's developed thus far. If we wanted to, if I, I could interject real quick, because as you brought up a play with multiple acts, it made me think that is kind of what we have. Uh, if, you're, if you're reading in the Old Testament, Act 1 has already happened, creation. And then most of the Old Testament is Act 2, fall. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, they're like overlapping acts, whereas creation ha- is an event that happens, but it's a reality that persists. Mm-hmm. Fall is an event that happens, but it's a reality that persists. Mm-hmm. And then when you're reading the Gospels, Act 3, redemption is an event that happens and a reality that 
persist. Mm -hmm. And these letters that we're looking at now are written in between Act 3 and Act 4. That's Act right. 4 being what we were just talking about a minute ago of consummation of we're in between these, we're in the intermission between these two acts, three mm -hmm. significant things have already happened, ongoing realities, but we're not at the final, the final act That's where right. everything's drawn together. So we're kind of trying to make sense of what's happened in acts one, two, and three, mm -hmm. and looking ahead at act four, trying to sort of think about how they would connect. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so let's follow Peter's like kind of his thread that he's drawing here okay. because he's giving us a kind of a, a kaleidoscope of vivid images to talk about who we are as a people. And let's just follow two of them. So again, he says a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, again, Exodus 19 is a big chapter that's referenced here. So if we go back to Exodus 19, and I'd encourage you, you know, in my Bible, it says Exodus 19, verse 6 and verse 5. I'd encourage you just kind of broaden that and read some more of the paragraph to get yourself uh, mm -hmm. situated in the actual narrative. And so in Exodus 19, this is right after God has brought his people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They've wandered in the wilderness a little bit. He fed them from heaven. And now they're coming to Mount Sinai, the holy mountain where they're going to worship the Lord and he's going to give them, make a covenant with them. And this is the, what he says in verse 3. The Lord called to him, to that's Moses, out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, talking about the Exodus, the plagues, uh, the Red Sea, and how I bore you on angels' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be, here's one, my treasured possession among all the peoples. Peter says a people for his own possession. Mm. He goes on, he goes, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me, here's another one, a kingdom of priests, and here's another one, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So at least one thing Peter's doing here is he's saying, the words that Yahweh spoke to his people Israel after the Exodus, I am now applying to the church, which is made up of a bunch of Jews and Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And now today is a mostly Gentile population, is it mostly Gentile yeah. people. Why that's significant is that God has one people in the history of redemption. He doesn't have Israel and the church. It's not this kind of dichotomy between, you know, that was the promises in the Old Testament to this one people, this is the promises to the New Testament and this people. It's like one people of God. I don't know how you read 1 Peter 2 without, without coming to that conclusion that Peter's taking these images that were meant for Israel and he's applying them to the church. Mm -hmm. In other words, the new Israel, those who are united to the true Israel, which is Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, grafted in as we have the language in Romans. That's right, which means one tree <laughs> Yeah, uh, with branches kind of grafted into that. Again, another metaphor. And so that's, for, that's Exodus 19. This is easy for people to do. You look at the little apparatus. If you don't have that in your Bible, go to esv.org. All of these hyperlinks are there too. Yeah. Um, and you can look at another one here is Deuteronomy 7. And so if we go to Deuteronomy 7, one of my favorite Old Testament texts, I, I love Deuteronomy 7. Because it really cuts at that, that weird view of the Old Testament as if people were saved by works, uh, but now we're saved by grace. Thank God for Jesus. It's mm -hmm. like, no, no, no. They were saved by Jesus, by grace, just like we are now. And obedience mattered just like it does now. Yeah. And, and so, but that's a common misconception about the Old and New Testament. So Deuteronomy 7, it says, verse 6, it starts off, For you are a people holy to Yahweh your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. There's that phrase again. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. 
There's that chosen people. For you are the fewest of all the peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with those who hate him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. So the logic is, I brought you out. You're not in bondage. You're no longer in slavery. I have redeemed you. Now, take that seriously because Mm -hmm. you are my treasured possession. You are my, you've got a calling. You've got an identity that's unique among all the peoples of the earth. Don't abdicate the responsibility that comes along with that. Yeah. Be a people. Uh, how does Paul say it? I think in in, in Timothy or Titus that we would um, honor uh, or that we would adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, right? That we would we would wear uh, almost like a garment. We would wear live that out in such a way that this identity would would show forth that we belong to the Lord. Mm-hmm. So there's an example of how to read the Bible uh, well by taking these cross-references really seriously and reading them in context and going back and saying, so Peter's doing something with the Old Testament here. And it's a really important thing because he's writing to a church in exile, people that are feeling the pinch and the pain of not being in their homeland, that is the new heavens and new earth. And he's trying to comfort them and console them and give them vision for who they ought to be in that state. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, just to recap, um, to add to your, you kind of already recapped a little bit, but just to add to kind of what happened here is we did that together in chapter one on something that didn't have a cross-reference mm-hmm. because of familiarity with the Old Testament. Right. And so the more familiar you are with the Old Testament on your own, the more you'll draw those connections as you're reading. Uh, but if you're not there yet, the cross-references are a great way to start moving in that direction. And mm-hmm. it's just a matter of taking advantage of them. And hopefully we showed how you can do that today in First Peter chapter 2. That's so. great. Thanks a lot, Nate. Yeah, thanks, Ben.